All right, everybody, so good to see you. We're going to make our way back to our seats. It's good to see the fellowship happening before, during, after. How about that morning opportunity to just enter into the presence of God this morning with our worship team and our church body? Wasn't that phenomenal today? Praise God for them, their sensitivity to the Holy Spirit. We're going to get right into the Word today. I'm going to invite you to open up your Bibles to Romans chapter 7. Romans chapter... Somebody likes some Romans up in here. (laughs) You already made my day. Roman 7. Romans 7. As you guys know, we are... If you don't know, we are in the middle of a new series that that we're calling Kingdom Mindsets. Kingdom Mindsets. And uh, we're going to carry on with that today. Let's look at this. Romans chapter 7. We're going to start in verse 25. This is the Apostle Paul. One of his letters. One of his many letters. Verse 25. Romans 7. Or uh, Excuse me. Verse 21. I apologize. I gave you the wrong verse, guys. Can you... Can you is that possible to get... To go back to 21, I totally goofed that up um, for you. Just another illustration that no one is perfect. (laughs) Thank you so much for doing that. All right, verse 21. Paul says, I have discovered this principle of life. That when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. Anybody else discovered that principle of life? (laughs) He says, I love God's law with all my heart. But there is another power within me that is at war with my mind. So this power makes me a slave... To the sin that is still within me. And then he gets to verse 24. He says, oh, what a miserable person I am. I'm not going to ask if anybody ever feels like that. (laughs) He says, oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death. Then he answers, thank God. Thank God the answer, the answer is going to church more. Thank God the answer is putting up curtains in our gym every Sunday. Thank God the answer, the answer, he says, is in Jesus Christ our Lord. Because he asked the question by making a confession. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who, who will free me? Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Thank God the answer. The answer is Jesus Christ. So you see how it is, he says. 
In my mind, I really want to obey God's law, but because of my sinful nature, I am a slave to sin. Verse 1 of chapter 8, it's the carry on, the carry over, the carry through of his thought that continues. And he says, so, now, there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. How about that? Let's pray. Oh, God, we thank you. You have the answer. You are the answer. You sent the answer in your son, Jesus Christ. As we have been singing and admonishing one another and encouraging one another to get our focus on the right thing, that is you. You are the answer. You lift our burdens. You bring us peace. You give us forgiveness. You grant us redemption in the death, burial, and resurrection of your son, Jesus Lord, today, free our souls, where we are captive, perhaps even to our own selves. Free our souls. Lord, may we not continue to be a willing prey to the predator of our heart, that devil, our flesh, and this world. Free us today, I pray. Speak to us through your word and change. Change us, lift us, help us to rise up in you today, in Jesus' name. Everybody wants that, you say amen. amen. I want that, and I'm the one preaching this stuff. You know, last week we established, talked about the kingdom of God and having a kingdom mindset, that the kingdom of God is the activity of the Holy Spirit in our life. God is active in us. God is working in us. And he's working in us from the inside out. Can you say that inside out? Working in us from the inside out to bring a change, to bring us transformation, to become more like Jesus, the way we were created. And so this kingdom of God, the activity of the Holy Spirit is working in us to produce a mindset. You know, how we view, how we perceive, and how we think about life to be wrapped around and central to the Bible. And the kingdom ways of living that are outlined in God's word. And today, last week, I, so I preached a message last week about not looking back, don't look back. Today I want to preach, preach a message that I've titled, Keep Encountering Jesus. Keep Encountering Jesus. Have you ever found yourself wondering why you can't seem to get traction in an area of life? I can't hear you. You're talking back, but I can't hear you. Oh, I need to get some new shoes? Oh, traction. I got you. I'm slow. I'll get there by the time, by the time lunch rolls around. So have you, ever, have you ever found yourself wondering why you can't get traction in an area of life? The answer on the front row is get some new shoes. That's pretty good. Should have consulted with you before I preached this. So like Paul here, you find yourself wanting to do right, but inevitably doing wrong. It's a question, not a statement per se, as much as it is a question about our life. Well, you know, we may have the most sincere and honest and purest intentions, but the outcomes of our actions don't always 
work out that way. Right? They don't always line up that way. You know, one week we might be feeling like we're on top of the world, and then the next week we can't seem to put one foot in front of the other. Lord, that was my week this week. I preach a message, don't look back, and then all I want to do this week is look back. How about that? I have to listen to my own message. Trying to find traction. Feeling like, man, I thought I had already come around this and conquered this and overcome this. Then I find myself dealing with it again. Thinking about it again. Entertaining the idea again. Right? I may not be preaching to anybody but me today. I might, be the only, I might, I might get the most saved today. And we feel like, man, we're just, we're, one week, man, we're, we're, we, are, we are so fired up. We're so full of the Holy Spirit. Jesus is, is everything to us. We don't think about any, we don't allow any negative thought to enter our mind. We don't let any bad talk come out of our mouth. Uh, we, we do everything with the most purest, righteous intentions to serve somebody else, to give to somebody else, to do things for other people. We put people first before we put ourselves first. You know, all that gospel stuff. And then, then, one, then the next week, man, we feel like we as lost as we can be. We feel like, man, where did Jesus go? And they're like, man, I, I, I feel like if I could just keep the traction, right? If we could just keep that traction. We were talking this week in our office a little bit about a personality test. I can't remember the type or name of it. But uh, anyway, they were reading off all these different uh, traits about certain personalities. And I thought, man, that's me when I'm on my best day. I'm like the best husband, the best father, you know, the best preacher, the best pastor, the best friend, when I'm at my best. But friends, I can only be at my best when Jesus is at his best in me. And it's not him withholding himself. It's me not letting him do his thing. I don't even know what I said. <laughs> That's why I got to go back and listen to my messages. <laughs> so like Paul, man, come on, the, uh, an apostle, not just that, but the guy wrote like a lot of these things in the New Testament. And he's feeling like this, right? What do we do? What do we do when we're like this? What do we do? And we're, hopefully we're going to answer that question. I believe the answer is not doubling down on our intentions and our efforts to try harder. To do better because that's the natural inclination, right? I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna whoop it next time. I'm gonna get on it next time. I'm gonna conquer this thing next time. I ain't gonna about to let that happen next time. And then what happens next time? Dang it, that happened again. Doggone it, I, man! Right? So I don't believe the the answer alone is in, the, in, in doubling down on our intentions, our efforts. I believe the answer is found in encountering Jesus more encountering him more because you see the devil and our flesh wants to tell us hey you failed you fail you tried and you didn't succeed you you've been trying to get around this and over this and free from this how many years now how many weeks now how many days now you've been going around the same mountain and you've been going around the mountain here she comes <laughs> you know next time I go around it's not going to happen the next the 
it goes around and it happens. And the enemy the, in our flesh will tell us, what, what's the use in even praying? What's the use in even reading your Bible? Because it ain't getting anywhere into your thick skull. It's not going from, heart, or from head to heart. It's not traveling 12 inches. It's not penetrating. It's not, it's not doing it. Why bother, right? So the devil and the flesh will tell us that. But what do we do? What do we do? Paul wrote this Romans letter around A.D. 58. And a, and a year earlier, he wrote 2 Corinthians. And in 2 Corinthians 12, he talks about a struggle. He talks about the thorn in his flesh. And scholars have, they, it's not real sure what that thorn was exactly. Some think it was a physical ailment of some kind. Others thought it might have been the agony of people. Because people have a tendency to get on people's nerves. And not in church. Not in church. It doesn't happen in church. Uh, other scholars think maybe it was a spiritual temptation that Paul was struggling with, perhaps with pride or maybe some bitterness or some getting some over, over some things. But, they, but nonetheless, it existed. And Paul, Paul said, I prayed to the, to the Lord three times. I asked him three times, God, can you take this thorn away? What was his answer? The answer that God gave him was, my grace is all you need. My grace is sufficient. He said, my power works best when you're weak. And so Paul's like, what do I do with that? He's like, I know. I'll boast in my weaknesses. We just sang a song this morning. Would not boast in gifts, nor power, nor wisdom. I will boast in Jesus Christ. And Paul's saying, I'm boasting in my weaknesses. It's not, it's, it, it, it's what he's getting at, he's, he's saying this. He said, instead of hiding or running from my issues, I acknowledge them. So when you boast in weakness, you are acknowledging, I have weakness. But you don't wear it like a label and the latest fad and want people to feel sorry for you. You acknowledge it to the Lord and you acknowledge it to yourself. And when we acknowledge our weakness to God, then God's power can become strong in us. He says, I'll boast in my weaknesses, but I'll also do this. He goes on and says, I'll take pleasure in my weaknesses. Meaning, and I won't pretend that certain things don't bother me. I won't pretend that certain issues don't really get to me. Right? Because there's just some things that really bother us. That really get into us. That really penetrate and mess with us. And Paul's like, I'm not going to pretend those things don't really bother me. I'm not going to pretend that when... Alexander the coppersmith, when he failed me and abandoned me and betrayed me, that didn't hurt me. I'm not going to pretend like the arguments that I had with some of my fellow co-labors and we parted ways. They went and did their thing with God. I went and did my thing with God. Like that didn't really hurt because it did. Paul's like, I have this thorn in my flesh and it ain't going away. So God, what do I do? And God's like, my grace is all you need. My power is perfect in your weakness. You need to acknowledge it, and you don't need to pretend that you don't have, you, you don't need to pretend that those things aren't real, that those things don't bother you because they really do. And he says, So I just let Christ take over. I let Christ take over in my life. I let Christ take over these things that are 
real in me. Because sometimes the thorns don't always get removed. So when the thorn is in, when the thorn is trouble to me, here's the answer Paul's saying in Romans 7. I go to Jesus because he's the answer. I go to Jesus because he's the answer. And I don't stop praying. I don't stop trying. I don't stop going. I keep going. And then it was about eight years earlier, Paul wrote a letter to the Galatians in AD 49. And in Galatians 2, verse 20, Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live. But the life I now live in this flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So about eight, nine years earlier from the time Paul wrote that letter to the Romans, he wrote to the Galatians and he was letting them know that, hey, I have been crucified with Christ, but yet I still have my sets of issues. I still have my set of trouble. I still, I still have things that I'm working on, that God is working on in me. I haven't completely got there yet. And he says, so the answer is, I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Christ lives in me. Christ lives in me. And so the answer for my sin sick soul the answer for my troubled heart the answer for my wearied body the answer for my troubled mind the answer for the issues of life that plague me the answer for the grief I feel the answer for the sorrow that I am entangled in the answer for my troubles the answer is found in the crucified and risen Christ that is in me the answer is already inside the answer is in here it's not me. The answer is Christ. That's why when we're born again, we let Christ arise in our life. And the more we encounter him, then here's the deal. The stronger and the larger he becomes inside of us. So our views and our perceptions and our outlooks on life, they're not framed by a narrative that we create they're framed by the narrative of Christ Jesus, how he views, how he perceives, how he looks at life. And in life, there's everything. There's people, there's places, and there are things. And so this kingdom mindset that God wants to produce within us, it's about us encountering Jesus. And so Paul says, what a miserable person I am. Am And you know what? It would be very miserable to stay in that mentality alone and only there. If we just stopped there and we, got, and we, we, we just realized, you know, I discovered this principle of life. That when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God with all my heart. I love his word. I love his ways. But I find myself coming up short. Because there's another power at work within me. What a miserable person I am. And if you stop there, what happens? You stay in misery. Right? You stay in misery. And I don't, I don't know about you, but I don't like being miserable. I don't like being miserable. Because oftentimes, miserable people like to draw 
around and hang, pull out misery in other people or cause misery from other people. If, if you're if you a person of, you like drama, and you're not going to be happy unless drama's going on. If there ain't no drama, then you're going to go start you some drama just so you can feel good about yourself. That, Paul's like, don't start doing that with your life. Don't live miserable. He said, so who will free me? Who will free me? If we could free ourselves, friends, we would have done been free, and we'd been the happiest people on the planet a long, long time ago if we could have the power to free ourselves. But we never have, and we can't. The answer, Paul says, the answer is in Jesus Christ. So the more you and I encounter Jesus, the stronger and the greater he becomes inside of us. And then allows us and helps us then to navigate the waters of life. The terrain of life. Right? And so the last few minutes I have, I, I want to take us through a little teaching of something here. I, I couldn't think of anything better to say it than this way. Uh, somebody smarter than me perhaps will have a better title. But I just call it the six layers of encountering Jesus. The six layers of encountering Jesus. And it's through the, through the context of looking at the Old Testament tabernacle. The Old Testament, uh, Old Testament temple. Because the temple, the tabernacle was a foreshadow of Christ. Jesus made this statement in John 2. He had just cleared the temple and was, he was pretty upset because of the way they were doing things in there. And he said, you know what, you can, you, this temple destroy it in three days, be built back up again. The audacity. The religious scholars and leaders were like, man, it took a long time to make that. And you're going to say tear it down and you, you will build it in three days. And what he was saying, it goes on and John writes, he said he was not talking about the physical brick and mortar of a temple. He was talking about himself. He's the temple. He's the temple. And we're called to enter into him. We're called to enter into his his life, his life. And then because the uh, psalmist David wrote in Psalm 103, would have been one of my most favorite verses of all time. But he said, as far as the east is from the west, is how far God has removed our transgressions from us. So think about that. And you're going to think about this, this picture that are going to flash up here of of the Old Testament temple. Can you guys see that? Okay. So you see the directions, north, south, east, west, right? The thing about it, the entry of, of this was from east to west. As far as my transgressions, God has removed from me from the east to the west. And so we're going to walk through these here, and we're going to talk about that in Jesus, how this translates to us today, our encountering of Jesus. So the priest, would, they, would take this, they would have a sacrifice they'd have to make, and it would, that sacrifice would be on, and I'm going to do the, like the most simplified nutshell version of this today, okay? Because um, there's like lots of things you could talk about here. But the, so the sacrifice takes place on the altar of burnt offerings, 
So they, and then he, and we're going to come back to it. I'm going to walk through it and we'll come back to it. Okay, sound guys? So the altar of burnt offerings. Then, you're gonna, and then they travel to the bronze laver where they would wash in the blood and wash the sacrifice off of them. And they go on to the holy place and you would see the table of showbread, which 12 loaves of bread. Um, unleavened and the priest would consume himself with all 12 loaves because the 12 loaves represented the 12 tribes of Israel, God's people. And then you see the golden lampstand where it would continuously be a light in the temple 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. And then you go to the altar of incense where there would always be an aroma going up to heaven that would be well-pleasing to the Lord. Then, you tr then the priest would be able, to, one time a year, would go into the most holy place where the Ark of the Covenant dwelled. And that represented, that is the place where God's presence was. Okay? So, what does that mean? How does that help us today? Encountering Jesus. Paul, obviously knowing this. Paul, obviously understanding this. Paul understanding the, that the relationship with the Lord, with Jesus, is not based on a religious experiment or a religious um, act, per se, alone. But it was based on a true encountering of Jesus. No doubt Paul had an encounter with Jesus in Acts chapter 9. Paul had just witnessed the uh, martyring of Stephen, the deacon. And he was on his way. He had gotten letters of approval to go to Damascus to find every believer, every Christian who, who had their faith in the way of Christ, that he had permission to go and snag them and arrest them, women and men alike. And he was going to bring them and arrest them because of their faith in Jesus. And on his way to Damascus, Paul had an encounter. Paul had an encounter. He was knocked off his horse, he was down on the ground, a bright light shone, and a voice from heaven, but, but nobody could see, they could only hear, even those who were traveling with him were terrified because they could only hear the voice but could not see anyone talking, and the voice asked him, Paul, wh why are you persecuting me? Why are you doing this? And he's like, who are you? And he's like, I'm the same one, I'm Jesus. And he gives him some instruction. And Paul ends up being blind for three days. And he goes on into the city. And things carry out from there. But Paul, at that moment in time, he had a conversion. He had, a, he had a, what, what people call a Saul to Paul moment. He was Saul. He encountered Jesus. He became Paul. There was a, not only a change of name. There was definitely a change of identity. And there was a change that took place from the inside out in Paul. He had an encounter with Jesus. And so Paul, writing these, writing these letters, understanding that, says, I've discovered this principle of life, that what I, uh, when I want to do right, I inevitably do what is wrong. He's, I'm miserable at times. What do I do with myself? Oh, wait, the answer, thank God, the answer's not in me. The answer is not in following all the religious protocol. The answer is not in religious dogma. The answer is not in, in placating to the religious sect of the time. No, the answer is not found in my memorization of the Torah. No, my answer is not found in any of those things. My answer is found in the sacrificial one, Jesus Christ, who died, who was buried, and who resurrected on the third day, and who is at the right hand of the throne of God now, forever making intercession for me. The answer is not found in me doubling down on my efforts and getting better at what I do. The answer is not, is not in any of those things. The answer is only in Jesus Christ, my Lord. I'm sure that oftentimes Paul would be reminded of his encounter with Jesus. 
And then Paul himself, obviously, having many encounters with him, not necessarily like that, but having encounters with him that continuously brought change and transformation to his life. And so, encountering Jesus. So you see the altar of burnt offerings in that. Look at, uh, it's gonna, I mean, there's going to be several verses that pop up as we travel through this. Hebrews 9 verse 12 says, talking about Jesus, with his own blood, not the blood of goats and calves, as it was in the old covenant, he, Jesus, entered the most holy place once for all time and secured our redemption forever. So the altar of burnt offerings or the sacrifices made, Jesus became the one and only sacrifice forever for the, for the forgiveness of sins of humanity. He became that sacrifice. Jesus is our sacrifice for our sins. So the things that you and I find ourselves falling short in, Jesus brings forgiveness. The things that we were admonished in early in our praise and worship time, we are forgiven. If our faith and our trust is in Jesus Christ and we have confessed him as Lord and Savior, guess what? He brings forgiveness for your sins. You don't have to walk around with it as far as the east is from the west. And you'll see how you walk through this. Jesus is the sacrifice. Then you get to the bronze laver. They would wash. Look at Hebrews 10, 22. It said, let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting him. For our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean. And our bodies have been washed with pure water. So in Jesus, we are washed clean. Paul, again, I find myself that what I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. What do I do with that? How do I reconcile that? The reconciliation is not found in offering up seven Hail Marys. The answer is found in Jesus Christ. The answer is found in Jesus washing us. We sing about his blood. What can make us whole again? What can make us clean? What can make us white as snow? Only the blood of Jesus. Jesus' blood. And he washes us. And at the bronze lever, they would wash that off as a sign. They were being immersed into this new and free living way of being clean, our consciences and our guilt. I don't know about you, but I sure like to have a clean conscience. And I dare say that most, if not all of us, like to lay our head down at night on our pillow with a clean conscience. And if you struggle with that, if you wrestle with that, if it keeps you up at night, if it keeps you tossing and turning, then, friends, your faith and your trust is not in the sacrifice of Jesus. It's in whatever you can do about it. The answer is not in whatever you can do about it. The answer is getting right before God and open before God. As Paul said, I boast in my weaknesses. Man, I take pleasure in those things because I don't pretend those things don't exist. God, here it is. Here's my stuff. Here's my junk. Here's my shortcomings. You know, God knows it already, but he's waiting on you and I to admit it, to, uh, to acknowledge it, and to let him in. And then he just washes us and he cleans us. He washes our cares. He washes our burdens. He washes our consciences. He washes us and makes us clean, encountering Jesus, knowing in this relationship with him, in this walk with him, and in this journey of life with him on this planet. 
that we every day can live forgiven. You don't have to get resaved. You don't have to ante up again. All right? He lives in you. But he, has, he can get buried in our hearts with the burdens of our life, the cares of this world that you and I are so affectionately prone to be drawn to. Every single one of us, no matter what type of intention or motive we have, it happens. It happens. So it's not about trying to reorient your intention. It's about Jesus reorienting your heart. And when our heart is reoriented in him, then the kingdom gets unleashed and uncovered and becomes greater in us. So that the affections of our heart are not always about this world and about what our flesh wants, but it becomes more about him. But in the event that our heart becomes tied to things of the flesh and things of the world, as Paul says, who's the answer? Jesus. You see, you're intended to walk with God in a very personal, intimate way on your own. And then it's obviously expressed and, and has greater, you have greater added strength with the camaraderie of the body of Christ circling you and walking with you. you never, yeah, you walk hand in hand with Christ by yourself, but you don't just do it all alone. You have the family of God. You're in a sheep fold. Right? Then you have, you go into the holy place there and you see the table of showbread. Matthew 26, 26. Jesus, at the Passover time, having a Passover meal with his disciples, what is called the Last Supper. Jesus breaks bread. He says, and they were eating. He took some bread. He blessed it. Broke it in pieces. Gave it to the disciples saying, hey, take this and eat it. For this is my body. This is my body. So the table of showbread, the priest would have to eat that bread. In other words, he was consuming himself with the bread that represented the people of God. In essence, represented the body of Christ today as we know it. And so in Jesus, we then become filled with him. That's why every time we go to the table, he said, do this in remembrance of me. Be reminded that your life is not to be filled with the things of this world to make you content. That your life cannot be filled with the things of life to bring you salvation. No, the only thing that can bring that is me. Let my body, let my life consume you. As you consume it, let it consume you. And let me become greater and stronger and bigger in your life. In Jesus, we are filled with him. Meaning then the hunger pains in our souls. The quick fix is to, look to the, is to look to something tangible in this world. The quick fix is to look at something tangible in this world. Whatever that might be. I'm not going to start stepping on everybody's toes because I got toes of my own. So whatever that tangible thing is in our world right now, in our life, that we tend to go to first. That we tend to go to the most. That we tend to think, man, that brings me the quickest, easiest, most comfort as possible when I'm dealing with something and if it ain't Christ, if it's not Jesus, forgive my bad English. If it's not Jesus, if it's not his word, if it's not him and anything to do with him, then friends, it's not going to help. Oh, it might make us feel good for a moment. It might bring pleasure for a moment. 
but it will not last. Why do you think people in this world constantly look to things of this world for satisfaction? Because it runs out. It ends. The spout will run out. Isn't that what Dr. Seuss said? That's what happens. But in Christ, Jesus is saying, if you will let me fill you, I will satisfy you. I will satisfy you. That's why communion is so imperative. It's so dynamic. It's so important because the more we eat the bread, the more we are reminded our lives are not meant to be filled with whatever in this world, but to be filled with the life of Jesus. And you have the golden lampstand. John 8, 12, Jesus said this. He said, he spoke to the people around him and he said, I am the light of the world. If you will follow me, if you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. I am the light of the world. You won't have to walk in darkness. I don't know anybody who just willingly wants to walk in darkness. There are things that, that happen in us, there are things that happen to us, there are decisions you and I make that cause us to walk in darkness, but that doesn't mean that's where we're supposed to be or have to stay or remain. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. I am the light of the world. And in me, you will have light. In other words, in Jesus, he lights our life. He guides us. Need some direction? Jesus. Need guidance? Don't be going to anybody who don't know the Lord and asking them for guidance. I don't need to put the word stupid out there. Don't. Don't be asking. Don't, don't, don't be asking people who don't know Jesus, who don't have a relationship with Jesus. Let me put it that way. A relationship with Jesus for advice. For whatever. Now they might be well intended. I get that. But if their mind has not been transformed by the word of God. Their advice will never truly lead you in the right direction. And then there are people who are saved. Who do have a relationship with Jesus. But it doesn't mean you got to ask everybody. You do need to pray. You do need, you do need to seek the Lord on your own. And the Bible does tell us there is a safety in the multitude of counselors, especially when it comes to some big decisions you got to make in life. But just here's the deal. Jesus is the light. He guides you. He doesn't want to see you go off in the wrong direction. His word is a light and a lamp unto our feet and to our path. He doesn't want to see us get caught up in the wrong thing. No, he, he loves you too much to, to see you do that. He's light. He will guide. He will direct. But you, you, you've got to let him. Amen. We got we to gotta be willing to let his light guide us, even, even if it goes against the things of our heart's desire sometimes. Because perhaps, just maybe, he knows what he's talking about. And that he knows that if I let you do this now, if I open the door for that now, you're not ready for what's on the other side. It might be the right door, but the wrong time. Might be the right door, but the wrong time. So we got to trust him and let him 
open the door at the right time. And he will lead you. He will guide you. He is our light. So in Jesus, our light is our life is lighted by him. And then go on to the altar of incense. Again, I'm not preaching this like from the most deepest theological standpoint here. All right. Just in the basics of this. The altar of incense. Revelation 5.8. It's the revelation that John had of the heavens. He said, when he took the scroll, the four living beings and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb. And each one had a harp, and they also held gold bowls filled with incense, which are the prayers of God's people. There's harp and bowl. There's praise and there's prayer. That's why we, part of the corporate aspect of our worship involves praise, but it also involves prayer. Our relationship with Jesus involves praise, but it also involves prayer. And the incense, in Jesus, meaning this, in Jesus, our prayers are heard. Our prayers are received. Don't you think that God knows if we pray something, perhaps with the wrong intention, that he knows what's going on? That he's not going to necessarily answer it the way we think he's going to answer it? I mean, how dumb do we think God is? He's not. So don't ever be worried about praying something in the wrong motive or the wrong tone because God knows how to interpret. I do think he's big enough to interpret our tone, even if we text a prayer to him. <laughs> That'd be cool to have, wouldn't it? Text a prayer. Or think a prayer. He knows how to interpret doesn't mean we're right at it. It just means God knows how to actually answer it. And, the, and he answers it, but he doesn't always answer prayers in the way we want him to or the way we think he should. But he does. So in Jesus, our prayers get to him. Now, I know, here's the deal. Sometimes we pray and we feel like, man, it's just hitting the ceiling, bouncing right off. It's like, God, where are you at today? Because I sure ain't feeling you. Right? I'm just not getting, I'm not feeling it today, Lord. I'm just not feeling it today. I'm praying, but are you hearing? Yes, he is. Yes, he is. Yes, he is. Oh, yes, he hears you. He hears you. Even if it's a mumble, even if, it, if you don't even get it, he gets it. The thing is, Paul getting across to us. Man, because the last, time, the last thing we really want to do sometimes is pray when we feel like this. I want to do right, but I inevitably do wrong. That's the last time I want to pray. I don't feel like praying when I do wrong sometimes. I don't feel like always praying when I fall short. I feel like I want to wallow in my pigsty a little bit, like the prodigal son who ran away. And I, Sometimes I want to do that because I think, man, that's what I need to do in order to make myself feel better. But that's miserable. Paul's like, that's where I'm miserable. Don't live there. No, pray. Talk to the Lord. Let Jesus in. Encounter him. Make yourself go to him. And he will receive you. And he will hear you. And then lastly, it's the holy, most holy place. Where the Ark of the Covenant, God's presence dwells. Colossians 1.15. This whole chapters really amazing but verse 15 says Christ is the visible image 
of the invisible God. What does God look like? Christ, read the first four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Read those, you'll see Christ. All the words in red, the words of Jesus. If you have a Bible that reads in red. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. How about that? So, in Jesus, we encounter God's presence. So we encounter his sacrifice. He is our sacrifice. We encounter his washing because he makes us clean. We encounter him as he fills us and consumes us. We, in Jesus, he is our light and our life is guided by him. In him, our prayers are heard and answered. And in him, we, get, we encounter the presence of God. There's nothing like the tangible presence of God. Not always tangible. There's some other things that are tangible that aren't right, that aren't good, that we ain't feeling. It's, you know what I'm saying? There's some other tangible thoughts, other tangible words, some other tangible people we want to get our hands on. We want to give a few thoughts of our own too. There's nothing like the tangible presence of God because it completely melts away. I mean, come on, it melts away hate. God's presence melts away offense. God's presence melts away bitterness. God's, God's presence melts away prejudice. God's presence melts away racism. God's presence melts away all types of things that you and I deal with. If we would just encounter his presence more, our lives would be greater. Our lives would be richer. Our lives would be fuller. Our hearts would be full and compelled by the love of Christ. And we wouldn't be led around by opinions. We live in a very divisive world right now. Our country is very divided. And the answer, come on friends, it's not in a political agenda. It never has been. The answer is rooted in the bedrock of grace of Jesus Christ. Why do you think radical religions hate Christianity? Because it's based on love and faith. It's not based on religion. That's my two cents at least. We complicate things way too much. I complicate things way too much. I'm a complicator. And I don't mean to be a complicator. But I'm a complicator sometimes. My intentions are so good. Oh, I have the right heart in saying it that way. I need Jesus, folks. Anybody else need Jesus? I need Jesus to radically revolutionize my heart with his love. I need him. I need to encounter him. So what do I do? Paul's answer found, again, in another letter that he wrote around A.D. 61 to the Philippians. Chapter 3, verse 12. He says, I don't mean to say that I have already achieved these things. 
Come on, we're talking about Paul here. We're talking about the guy, if he preached here, man. He, he went all over the place. This is like, you think about your favorite preacher out there. Yeah. And they say, I don't mean to say that I have already achieved these things or that I have already pre- reached perfection. I haven't. For some reason, we, 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 we rock star Christianity today in so many ways. He says, I press on to possess the perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. He says, what do I do? I feel torn. I feel incomplete. One week I have traction. The next week I'm losing myself. <laughs> what do I do? I keep pressing on with Christ. I'm not going to make me be Pentecostal and beat this podium. I will not quit on Jesus. I will keep pressing on to Christ. So what do I do? I feel miserable at times. I want to do what's right, but I inevitably do what's wrong. What's wrong with me? Ding, ding, ding. The light goes off. The answer is Jesus, Paul, again, writing, No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it. For you try to crown me with many crowns and thinking I have made it. I haven't. He said, This one thing I focus on, I forget the past, and I look forward to what lies ahead. So I keep pressing on with Christ, and I forget the past, and I look forward to Christ. When everything within me wants to look back, And cover myself up in the blanket of the past. And stick my thumb in my mouth and curl up in a ball. I don't do that. I'm just saying if you feel like that. But life makes you want to just go all the way back to that sometimes. What do I do? I look forward. I'm going to make myself... I'm going to take my hand. I'm going to turn my face. And when it want to look back to the left, I'm going to take my hand and turn my face... And when I'm tempted to look back to the right, I'm going to take my hand and turn my face, and I'm going to keep looking at Christ. I had my annual physical on Monday, first one I've had in too many years. So far, all that seems to be well, praise God. But I was telling the doc, I said, doc, this year I've had more uh, tension headaches than I ever had in my whole life. He's like, okay. So he asked me a few questions. He goes, Okay. It's definitely, you know, tension-related, migraine-type related. So he said, you know, and I said, I feel it down my neck, down into my shoulder blades. He said, I'm going to give you some exercises that you can do to keep yourself limber and to get that tightness out. So he told me one of the, one of the exercises to do is, is to take my fingers and put it on my chin and, and, and push like that right there. Hold it for a couple seconds, come back to the center, do it again. Then he said, take your hand and kind of push it, you know, like that, and push it like that, like you're trying to touch your ear to your shoulder and, and do those types of things. And so the thing, the thing, it got me remembering and thinking about how many times the tension of my past wants to grab my, my, my attention. 
he wants to, he wants to pull me, that I have to make myself come back around. 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 I got to make myself look ahead. I got to make myself look forward. I got to make myself look down the road towards Christ because what he has in front of me is better than what is behind me. I'm not who I used to be. I'm not what I need to be, but I'm better than all the things I once was because Christ, the risen Savior, lives in me. What do I do? I have traction one day, doggone it, and then the next, I can't seem to put one foot in front of the other. If I could moonwalk right now, I would. Where's Trey when you need him? <laughs> no, I can't do it. Don't, don't tempt me. I will look ahead. I will look at Christ in front of me. <laughs> Oh, my gosh. What do I do? Paul says, lastly, I press on to reach the end of the race and get to the end of this message and receive the heavenly prize. You see what is in front? The heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. I dare say that Jesus didn't go through hell for nothing. Jesus didn't get crucified for nothing. He didn't just go through what he went through for nothing. He went through with the intention and understanding that you are on his mind and he knows you by your name. And he is acutely aware of all the struggles and the troubles and the thorns and the issues that we all get tangled up in at times. What do we do with ourselves? Keep encountering Jesus. So the answer to our problems is not more religion. The answer to our problems, the answer to our issues the answer to our struggles, the answer to our life. I want to do what's right, but I inevitably find myself doing what's wrong. What is wrong with me? Are oh, you just normal? But what do you do with it? That is the question. What do we do with it? Keep encountering Jesus. Friends, I could keep preaching this because this is getting me fired up. And I don't know what Monday morning holds for me, but I hope it's better than last week. If not, though, friends, just pray for me because I want to make sure I just keep encountering Jesus. James, you better wrap me up out of here. Amen.